God-first people live hope-filled or live optimistic lives. God-first people live hope-filled lives because God has made some promises and every promise that God ever makes, he keeps. So God-first people get to live optimistic lives because God has made promises to us about the future. And one of the great promises that God has made is that Jesus is coming back. And uh, when he comes back, just like we sang this morning, he's not coming as a lamb to be slain on the cross, but he's coming as a lion to reign over the whole earth. And so we live optimistic lives up against the background of God's uh, promises. And you know, um, this morning we are continuing to work through a passage of scripture uh, that describes the events that surround this return of Jesus. Now, I know there's a lot of people who, this is a, you know, we just sang, you know, your word is what gives me uh, life. But there's a lot of people who realize that, you know, it's difficult sometimes to understand what the Bible is telling us about these events. And some people just say, you know, well, I just know that Jesus is coming back. That's all I want to know. Sounds awful pious. But the truth is not biblical. Right? Because why? Because God has revealed to us uh, these events that are surrounding, and uh, he wants us to be ready for these events should they come in the course of our lifetime. And so Jesus' return will have two radically different um, uh, effects on people's lives. For believers, all right, for those who are serious about their relationship with God through Jesus, for believers, it'll be the greatest day ever. It'll be the most fantastic experience you have ever had. Um, it, it will just be the best um, for us believers. Our faith will be vindicated. Our bodies will be renewed never to have problems again, right? And everlasting life will begin. Uh, it'll be the greatest day. But for unbelievers, for those who ignore God, for those who resist God's grace, for those who refuse Jesus... It'll be the worst day ever, a, a day of unimaginable horror. It'll be the worst day ever, a day of judgment, a day of fear, and a day that will begin everlasting death. And so a lot is at stake um, when we think about this. And I think it's important for us to remember, right, that the Lord's return happens in association with God's dealing with Israel. Um, as we have seen, his chosen people, um, God has revealed that there are seven more years in Israel's future during which God will reconcile the Jewish people back to himself. During that period of time, the Jewish people will recognize Jesus as the Messiah and the nation will turn to him and so forth. And there, there's a seven-year period of time uh, that's out in the future, often called the 70th week of Daniel when God will finish restoring his people. And so the focus will be the Mideast, but the whole world will be drawn in on this period of time. And there are many passages of Scripture that talk a lot about a lot of different countries, uh, all of whom will be drawn into this final um, uh, period of time between God and Israel and will be involved. And uh, we see this even now in the news, right? Um, even this last week, 
You know, Iran launches a missile that will reach Israel, that can reach Israel. And so uh, on and on, um, as we get closer and closer, uh, we realize that these things are important for us to know and understand. And so we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and the first couple of verses, which we looked at carefully last week, uh, Paul says this, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. He's talking about what we call the rapture. Uh, we're talking about the gathering of the church, which is taken out of the world before the judgment of God comes down upon it. And so that's what Paul's talking about. It's kind of the big picture here, and it has a lot to do with the timing of when that will actually happen. And so he says, you know, concerning the coming of our Lord and being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, uh, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to have come to, from us, uh, to the effect that the day of the Lord, which is the judgment period of time, has already come. So you remember these people were confused because there were some current events that were happening in their life that they couldn't piece together and they couldn't uh, understand why these things were happening as they were now. And so the rapture issue, you know, is the hope of every believer. It's the removal of believers before the judgment of God or the day of the Lord uh, begins. And I suggested to you that these two events... Uh, the taking out of the church and the judgment of God begin on the same day. Uh, we saw from um, uh, Matthew's gospel uh, that Jesus said, listen, just like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days when he comes back. And in the day of Noah, you remember that the same day that God put Noah and his family in the ark, is the same day that the rain started. And then in Luke's uh, uh, gospel, Jesus is saying the same thing in verse 26. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And then in uh, verse 26, he goes on. He says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, they were buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. On the very same day, Jesus is saying, it's just like Noah. And then uh, to uh, kind of add emphasis, he gives another example. It's just like, it's got, like it was on the days of Lot. And if you go back to uh, Genesis chapter 19, we have the story of Lot. And in Genesis chapter 19 and uh, verse uh, uh, 22, it says, um, the angel is, is saying to Lot, escape to this place quickly now listen to this, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. The angel came to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. The issue was homosexuality in that day. And the angel came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angel says to Lot, I can't do anything there until you arrive in the safe city. Okay? And therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. And uh, verse 23 says this, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord of heaven. I think the Lord is trying to make the point, you know, with both of these examples, that uh, the taking out of the church, the true church, and the beginning of the judgment of God happens on the same day. What a day that's going to be. I mean, just allow your imagination to think through. Uh, the word rapture just means rapid, and it's going to happen, as Paul says, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And so we saw that the day of the Lord uh, will begin on the same day. And then uh, he goes on and he says um, in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, let nobody deceive you in any way. 
there's a lot of deception that goes around. Like, there's a lot of people who have a lot of ideas that sound very plausible when it comes to end time events. And there's all kinds of things that you can read and so forth. Uh, but here's the warning, don't be deceived. Like, stick close to the word of God. Uh, or you'll be lost on that day. Let nobody deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless two other things happen first. The rapture has to happen first. The church has to be out before the judgment of God comes down on the world. And uh, the second thing that has to happen is the rebellion. It's called the rebellion. Some of your Bibles might say the apostasy. Uh, The rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness, the second thing that has to happen is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God and demanding that the world worship him in God's place. Those two things have to happen first, right, before the Lord comes back. And so uh, when we take this seriously, we remember that the rebellion is perhaps when uh, Israel... Um, turns to this world, powerful world leader uh, whom the Bible identifies as a man named Antichrist. That's John's name for him. There are many names for the Antichrist in the scripture. In fact, in our text, he's called the lawless one. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, Paul talks about this, and, and the Bible reveals it, uh, Daniel, Revelation, and so forth, this powerful leader. And this person is called the, the Antichrist, Right. And uh, he makes a deal to protect Israel and offers a solution to the Middle East conflict. Um, But the world leader, who seems like a peacemaker, okay, turns out, in fact, to be um, kind of a wolf in sheep's clothing. Turns out to be a peace breaker. And right in the middle of that seven-year period, he's revealed for who he really is. And so what Paul is saying to this church is that, you know, uh, the Lord's not going to come back until these things happen. And if that's true, then it means that you and I, one of the implications of all of that is that we will be here during this time. Um, and, uh, you know, if it comes within the course of our lifetimes. And so um, it's important for us to understand this and um, um, that this world leader will uh, put himself in the place of God, demand the worship of God. And at that point, you can read in Revelation, some of the technology that's in place today makes it all Uh, very plausible to happen, and we all know that that happens exactly in the middle of the um, seven-year period. So now, uh, verse 5, we move on, and in verse 5, Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Now, (laughs) we can identify with this, right? Do you remember everything that you've learned from the Lord, that you've been taught, right? Paul's like, don't you remember? I told you all about How could you be so easily deceived? How could you be so confused? How could you fall for these false ideas? I don't know, maybe you saw in the news this week, you know, that uh, there's some group, and I don't know, even know who they are, but it, it made it into the news that the world was supposed to end yesterday. Did you see that in the news? You know, how can you be so confused? And, and it was based on something with the stars lining up a certain way and and so on and so forth. And Paul is like, you know, trying to say, try to remember what you already know. Try to remember. And that's a problem, right? You know, we're just saying, I need you every hour. It's a nice song. But how long do we go without ever, you know, really giving time 
for the Lord to speak to us from his word. Uh, remembering, right? Every day can so consume us that we forget what God has told us to the point that uh, it's not available for us to integrate into our everyday living. You ever do something and say, oh man, you know, I know better than that, or something's out of your mouth and you're like, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brings something back that you know from Scripture and say, I should have never said that. You know, and, and so I want to kind of make a, a plea for uh, God first people having a daily devotional life, that every day of our life we need to find some time and give priority to listening and talking to God, to listening to him through the scriptures, let him speak to us so that it stays in our memory, so that it's available for us uh, to integrate into our everyday lives. And uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm as guilty as everybody else. You know, you go to church, you hear something, you say, oh, I believe that, and then you forget it by Sunday night. And then something happens during the weekend, it's not available for us. And so I think it's exactly why there needs to be like a daily uh, time for listening and speaking to God so that these things stay in the forefront of our lives. Um, it's kind of like eating is to our physical life, right? If you, uh, you, you can't just like eat a giant meal on Sunday and then say, well, I'm not going to eat again until next Sunday. Right? If you want to stay healthy and you want to live a balanced life, it's an everyday event eating. And guess what? Um, you sort of look forward to it, don't you? I do. I'm like, all right, what are we having for supper tonight? What am I going to, you know, look forward to it. And why wouldn't our time with the Lord be a time that instead of being an obligation and saying, oh, well, I got to do my 15 minutes today, it's like I get to listen to God speak to me through his word and I get to talk to the Creator of the universe who will listen to me. Look forward to the opportunity. As lame as I am, the God of the universe is interested in me. I mean, it's a great uh, blessing. And so Paul is going to remind these people. I wish he had written down because um, it takes us a little effort to figure this out. But um, Here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, look, don't you remember when I was still with you, I told you these things. Remember Acts chapter 17, Paul was there in Thessalonica. He stayed there for a while, taught them a lot of things, and I taught you all of this. How could you forget? Um, and then he says this, you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. This antichrist figure empowered by Satan, okay, in the same way that Jesus is empowered by the Spirit of God, this Antichrist, the Bible describes him, will be empowered by the very Spirit of Satan. And that's why it'll be such a terrible time. And that's why it'll be so horrible. And uh, Paul is saying to this church, don't you remember when I was still with you, I told you about these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. So, you know, when you read a passage of scripture like that and you say, well, you know, what does that mean? And we tend to just skip over it, right? But the first question that kind of comes to your mind is, who is this restrainer that's holding things back until the right time? Who is this restrainer uh, that is, it, who, who is it? And I think when we read the scripture, you know, it's not the point of just reading words. It's the point of understanding what God is trying to tell us. 
And so sometimes I learned a long time ago that uh, one of the best ways to read scripture is as you're reading scripture, ask, I call them the $6 million questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Who, what, when, where, why, and how? Any passage of scripture, you read it and ask the question, who? Who's he talking about? Who's he talking to? Who's talking here? Who? And what's he saying? Who, what, when, and when? Is this for today? Is this for the future? Is this from the past? Who, what, when, where? Where's this going to take place? Is this every place? Is this heaven? Is this earth? Is this hell? Where? Where? Who, what, when, where? Why? Why is God telling me this? You can take any passage of scripture and just ask those six million dollar questions. And all of a sudden, the meaning of the scriptures begins to kind of come alive as you compare scripture to scripture with those kind of questions. Um, how do we interpret what God is saying? That's kind of the issue. And so when some people read this, um, I think oftentimes because they have preconceived ideas, uh, some people think that the restrainer must be the church. You know, that the church is what's restraining uh, this end time event from happening. And, you know, it's very easy to criticize the church, uh, but don't underestimate the church's presence in the world. It's a force for good and a restrainer of evil. It's a voice for truth and a restrainer of lies. The church's presence in the world gives the rest of the world an opportunity to be saved from this time that God is warning us about. But I would tell you that it's mostly the pre-tribulation rapturists who push this idea that the restrainer is the church. And, uh, you know, it's significant that the beginning of Revelation addresses seven churches. And it all has to do with uh, end times. Anyway, there are some other people who think that uh, the restrainer must be the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit lives in the church, lives in the people who make up the church. And so they think when the church is out of the world, then the Holy Spirit is out of the world. And that enables Satan to be totally free to do whatever he wants. And so another speculation is that the Holy Spirit uh, is removed uh, before the Antichrist is able to do his thing and have free reign. But nowhere in the Bible is the Holy Spirit ever said to leave the earth. And some of the other events that have to happen in this seven-year period require the Holy Spirit to be here. And uh, so I think you can kind of scratch that idea. Other people have suggested that perhaps the restrainer is human government. Human government, all the laws that we have. The restraining force is the laws of the governments uh, being enforced. And, uh, you know, our passage here in studying what Paul says calls him the lawless one and, uh, in verse 7. And the thought is that the Antichrist will be so powerful that he'll be able to overthrow all human governments. And so when that's out of the way, then uh, he'll be able to do his thing. Still other people recognize... Uh, that the restrainer uh, is perhaps Michael the archangel. And uh, I personally believe this. Most of us understand that just outside the realm of our physical uh, life, there's a whole spiritual warfare going on between God and Satan, you know, and uh, angels and fallen angels, or what the Bible calls demons, and that all around us there's this spiritual reality that has influence you know, on the events that go on in the world. And uh, there are only two uh, angels that are named in the scripture, two archangels, and one is Gabriel and the other is Michael. 
And uh, you will notice that uh, every time Gabriel is mentioned in the Bible, he's always a messenger. He always comes from God's presence with a message to deliver, a direct message. And, um, and every time Michael is mentioned, he's, it's always a battle. It's always a fight. He's a warrior-type angel. And there's always these battles that are going on uh, when Michael is around. And so um, Michael, the archangel, it can be easily demonstrated, has a very special relationship uh, with the nation of Israel. If you go back to Daniel, remember all summer long we uh, worked our way through Daniel. If you go back to Daniel chapter uh, 10 and verses 12 and 13, uh, then he said to me, the angel said, fear not, Daniel, for... Uh, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. That's <clears throat> the angel speaking to Daniel. And uh, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left uh, with the kings of Persia. And so here's Gabriel on his way to deliver this message, and he gets stopped, you know, by uh, Satan's forces. And Michael comes, Michael the warrior angel, uh, comes and helps him. In uh, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 21, uh, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Uh, There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince, Israel's prince. Uh, somebody looking after the welfare of uh, Israel. Michael, your prince. In um, Daniel 10 and uh, verse 12, you know, um, he is uh, uh, the one who has come to respond to Daniel. Um, Daniel uh, 10, 11, and 12 is all about one vision. <clears throat> all three chapters are about one revelation that comes through Gabriel to Daniel. Chapter 10 is like an introduction. Chapter 11 is the vision itself. And chapter 12 is like a PS, like a postscript uh, with some of the consequences of that uh, vision that was given to Daniel. It's a fascinating uh, passage of scripture. It's about the end. Uh, it's a very significant uh, prophecy about end times. And uh, many people believe that uh, Jesus himself is the one uh, who came along with the angel Gabriel and Michael to reveal to Daniel these events. And again, in uh, 10.14, um, you know, we came, uh, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people, Israel, in the latter days, in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. Now, the fascinating thing about Daniel chapter 11 is that when Daniel wrote it down, it was all future. But if you were to study carefully chapter 11 along with history, set history alongside chapter 11, you would see uh, that the accuracy of uh, this uh, vision that was a prophecy that was given to Daniel is so accurate that critics, okay, look at this and they say, there's no way Daniel could have written this. It's too accurate. Somebody had to write this later on in history when these events had already happened because it's so accurate, right? And what they don't understand or what they don't acknowledge is that Daniel says, you know, that I think uh, the vision is the Lord himself comes and reveals what's going to happen. But what's even more fascinating is all of those events that happened to Israel during, uh, in history now are the exact same things that are going to happen at the end times. In other words, history foreshadows 
What happened in the immediate future of Daniel foreshadows what God says is going to happen at the end of time, especially uh, with the various armies that come from the north and come from the south and, uh, you know, meet in Israel. And uh, it's, it's really fascinating when you study history and uh, chapter 11 together. And so uh, a very important passage of scripture. And so uh, the restrainer, perhaps, is Michael, this archangel. And so when you read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 5 to 7, with that in mind, don't you remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what's uh, restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Until he is out of the way. So... Um, when you begin to think like that and ask yourself, could it possibly be that this angel is what's restraining Satan from being able to empower the Antichrist? Uh, when you think about it, you know, many forces have been at work to get rid of Israel over the years, right? There's been a lot of anti-Semitism for a long, long time. Many uh, opportunities to eliminate the Jewish uh, population over the years. And yet Israel is still with us today. And... Um, Thanks to uh, perhaps Michael and the unseen world, the spiritual beings. But as uh, 2 Thessalonians tells us, um, this restrainer at a certain point in the future will be taken out of the way. And uh, then, uh, and we know from other passages, it happens right at the midpoint of the seven years. And uh, this is the beginning of what Jesus calls then the great tribulation. Right? It's the beginning of the time that Jesus says... After the abomination of desolation, this will be the beginning of the great tribulation. And uh, again, Daniel 12, uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, I mean, uh, Daniel 12, 1, uh, puts it like this. Um, At that time uh, shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. So we're talking about this time in the middle and Michael Uh, shall arise, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been since there was a nation till that time. Almost the words that Jesus quotes in Matthew chapter 24. The same period of time, same event. It's the middle of the seven-year period. At that time shall arise uh, Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, Israel, and there shall be a time of trouble such as has never been uh, since the nation Uh, But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, and so on and so forth. And so it's pretty amazing, you know, that uh, God has put all of this uh, together for us to understand and to be alert to. Um, The word Michael, by the way, the name Michael just means who is like God. I tried to think, like, who are the Michaels in our church who are going to go home and tell their wives, my name means who is like God, you know, and And try to play that. But that's what his name actually means. Now I want to suggest to you that this exact same event is uh, spoken about in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 12, there's a war in heaven. Okay? And uh, you know from like the book of Job that Satan, you know, comes before God and and so forth. And there's this this spiritual reality just beyond the confines of our uh, physical existence. And there's a war in heaven. I'm just going to read this for you. I don't have time really to make a lot of comments, but look what it says here, starting in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Here's Michael again, fighting, 
right? He's the fighting angel. Gabriel's the messenger. Uh, Michael's the fighting angel. And uh, he's fighting against the dragon. And uh, you'll see who the dragon is here. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for him in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Perhaps this is the removal or the stepping away of Michael the archangel and Satan is then kicked out of heaven, comes down to earth, and is free to empower this person called the Antichrist. And all of a sudden he's unrestrained. And all of a sudden Jesus says, oh, that's going to be the beginning of great tribulation such as has never come upon the world before. Right? Why? Because he's no longer being restrained. And he has the freedom to empower that Antichrist. You know what Jesus said of this time, the Great Tribulation? Unless that time is cut short, there will be no flesh remaining. And I believe that it will be cut short by the return of the Lord, the rapture of the church, and the beginning of judgment. Unless that time is cut short, that tribulation time, no flesh would remain. Because why? What's Satan's game? Well, he's out to destroy God's creation, including you and me. Okay, So I think perhaps this is uh, that event that uh, Paul refers to in Thessalonians. And then let me just read the rest of the passage, starting in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, okay, he pursued the woman, Israel, who had given birth to the male child, Jesus. You can read that earlier in this passage. Okay, But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to a place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and a half time. A year, two years, and a half a year. Three and a half years. Israel is given a place by God to be protected for this three and a half year great tribulation period of time. It's kind of interesting, and this shows up in other places in Scripture. And um, the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood, But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And then the dragon, Satan, became furious with the woman, and he went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Now ask yourself, who would this be? On those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. It's the church. It's the church. Who's Satan going to go off and be after during this time if the church is out of here? Doesn't make any sense. And so you see, um, he's going to come after the children of Israel and Jesus. And uh, he stood on the sand uh, of the sea. And so 
I think this is an explanation of um, what Paul has, had already explained to these people, but they had forgotten about it. And um, <clears throat> you notice in, in verse 14, it says that, you know, Israel, the woman, was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly uh, from the serpent into the wilderness and be protected for three and a half years. In Daniel chapter 11, again, if we keep going back, we can compare scripture with scripture. In Daniel chapter 11, uh, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the Antichrist in Daniel chapter 11, uh, verses 40 and 41. At that time of the end, verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, the Antichrist, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, Israel, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Now, all three of those locations are in the country that we call today Jordan, right next to Israel. Isn't it interesting, with all the stuff that's going on, how much do you hear about Jordan? And most commentators, most people think that when God allows his people, Israel, to hide during this time, uh, that he's going to put them in, in this area in Jordan, just like Daniel is telling us. There's a certain area where the Jews weren't touched, where Satan couldn't get at them. You know, he sent the flood out of his mouth. I don't know what all that means, but the earth opened up and, and swallowed it and protected the people. And God has a purpose for uh, doing that. Now, also here in Daniel 12, 1, it's very interesting, um, <clears throat> but it takes some effort to figure this out. <clears throat> in Daniel chapter uh, 12 and verse 1, it says, At that time um, shall arise Michael, the archangel. Now, the word arise in the Hebrew language is amad, A-M-A-D. And uh, when you look that word up and try to understand what it means, the Hebrew word amad, um, what it means is um, to stand up or to stand still. Michael will stand up and stand still. It means to step aside. It means that here's somebody who was active and was restraining and was waiting for the right time, but there's coming a time when he will arise, he will stand up, he will stand still and allow the dragon, if you will, uh, Satan, to uh, do what, he, what the scriptures tell us uh, he is going to do. Let me just, um, in Job, um, in the book of Job, chapter um, 32, there's one verse where this same word is used. There's other verses, but I, I just thought this would give the sense of it. Um, verse, 30, uh, verse 16, chapter 32, and uh, Elihu is talking. You know, there were three friends of Job, and then he had one younger guy, and he thought he should be quiet until the older guy spoke, and finally he speaks up. And he says, and shall I wait because they do not speak, because they stand there, they arise. It's the same word, Ahmad. Because they stand there and answer no more. And so young Elihu is saying, you know, the older people, they don't have anything left to say that they haven't said to Job. I'm going to say my speech. I'm going to stand. And uh, they're just standing there. They're, they just arise and stand there. And so if that's what that verse means, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. If that means to stand still. Uh, and there will be a time of trouble such as has never been since... Uh, since there was a nation until that time. Almost the same words that 
Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 24. And so with Michael out of the way, no longer restraining Satan, um, it becomes a time of great tribulation. And it says in verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. When the Lord comes back, um, this Antichrist will be destroyed uh, by the breath of his mouth. And the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And verse 10, and with all wicked deception for who? Who's going to be deceived? With all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and be saved. For those who refuse to love the truth that God is seeking to reveal. Now, I mean, I, I find all this fascinating. I hope you do. Uh, but here's the question, right, that I think is probably on our minds. What does all this have to do with me? What does all this have to do with my life? I mean, I'm raising kids and I'm going to work and I've got problems and I can't pay my bills and blah, blah, blah and so forth. What's all this got to do with my life? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus said... Um, we need to be ready, ready. In uh, Matthew uh, chapter 24, where Jesus talks about these things, in verse 44, he says, you must be ready. And uh, also Jesus said, you know, I'm telling you these things beforehand so that you can be ready. In Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus um, was talking, and um, he said, uh, when the Son of Man comes back, Will he find faith on the earth? Will this be such an intense time? And then there are other places of scripture that talk about Christians who hold on to the end and will be saved. Because this will be such a time of great uh, tribulation. And because Satan will be unrestrained and the thing that holds him back now, you know, uh, will uh, be taken out of the way. And so if we uh, ignore what God wants us to understand, we simply won't be ready. You know, the book of Daniel begins with the demise, right, of Israel and Jerusalem, of God's people, the chosen people. And uh, you remember, it starts with Daniel being taken captive by the Babylonians. And the book of Daniel ends with this prophesied restoration of Israel and the return of Jesus. It covers the whole span of what the Bible calls the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles, when Gentiles dominate uh, over the nation of Israel. And um, I think, you know, what this has to do with us is because the Jewish people have returned to their land since 1948, um, that increasingly uh, the end time is close. It's closer than it's ever been, right, obviously. But since 1948, all of a sudden we can begin to anticipate and begin to see a number of things uh, that are lining up in our world. And... Uh, in Daniel chapter 11 and verse uh, 40, when um, the angel says to Daniel, at the end of time, um, I don't think it means the end of the world. It means at the end of the time of the domination of the Gentiles. Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk a little bit about the millennium and the thousand-year reign of Christ and how that fits into all of these end-time scenarios and so forth. Uh, but it's the end of that Gentile uh, domination. So a number of things have to happen. Um, there has to be, you know, kind of like a one-world government, uh, sort of like the United Nations. We've heard a lot about the United Nations. They're in session 
uh, this past week, and, and a number of things have happened there, and that's maybe the seeds of a worldwide kind of government. Uh, Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. We certainly you know, have some saber rattling going on today with uh, North Korea and so forth. Uh, there will be a coalition of nations from the south that Egypt will head. And you read uh, Daniel 11 and understand that prophecy. Egypt and all of northern Africa is Islamic along with most of the Middle East. And uh, there will also be a group of nations, a coalition of nations that come from the north and uh, will be led by uh, Russia along with Syria. And you can read that again in Daniel chapter 11. Kind of weird, isn't it, that... Uh, the rise of Russia today and its uh, coalition with Syria, if that makes any sense to you as to why the Russians would back the Syrian government. But if you read the scriptures, you know, it's all part of this scenario uh, that's uh, laid out for us. And there will be this phony peace treaty that somebody makes uh, with the nation of Israel to begin this period of this seven-year period of time. And so when we observe the world today, here's a couple of just observations. First of all, Israel is constantly in the headlines. And uh, that was not so, you know, uh, just a few years back. Uh, Israel is increasingly isolated by the world with um, Islamic nations, you know, calling for the death of Israel. So Israel really is surrounded on all sides by people who don't recognize Israel's right to exist. Imagine living like that. Um, there are five million um, square miles of Islamic countries surrounding just 9,000 square miles that make up the nation of Israel. If you look on a map and you see the size of Israel compared to the size of the land that's against her, it's absolutely astonishing. Now, on top of all of that, I think, like I said, the rise of Russia is very significant, and especially its alliance with Syria. And um, on top of all of that, uh, I don't think that America can be found in the Bible. There's a lot of nations that are talked about in, uh, in relationship to end time events, but America's not one of them. And uh, when you factor that in and try to think about this, uh, you know, what's going to happen to America if it's not found as part of all of this? And uh, again, there's a number of speculation uh, ideas that can uh, be brought to the surface. But about 200 years ago, a uh, professor, um, his name was Alexander Titler, uh, wrote these words about the Athenian Republic and its demise, Athens, which happened about 2,000 years before he wrote these words. But here's what he said. He said, a democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up until the time that voters discover they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that every democracy will finally collapse due to loose fiscal policy, which is always followed by a dictatorship. This is a professor studies history. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of time has been about 200 years. During those 200 years, these nations have always progressed through the following sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith. Think about the birth of our country. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. 
from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, and from complacency to apathy, and from apathy to dependency, and from dependency back into bondage. You can evaluate what you think about his assessment of the way uh, nations have come and gone over the course of history. Um, The fact is that America has gone from having the world's reserve currency and being the world's largest creditor, okay, uh, the largest creditor in the history of the world, um, to being the most indebted nation in the entire world. That's happened to us, and we've witnessed a portion of it over the course of our lifetime. Uh, We are trillions of dollars in debt and unfunded liabilities. Nobody can live on borrowed money forever, okay? Now, add to that, um, while America used to be the only nuclear nation, right, the only nuclear-powered nation, today there are at least eight other nations that have nuclear capacity, and uh, warfare has changed. Technology has changed the whole thing. 9-11 uh, brought America to its knees. But we quickly forget. And then, of course, on top of all of that, add to the, uh, that, all those issues, the issue of biblical morality. I don't have time, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, you can read it for yourself. Uh, the morality, the biblical morality that influenced our culture in the past is rapidly evaporating. Uh, just like it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot when the issue there was homosexuality. And so we cannot afford to be apathetic. And so just let me close with this. In Daniel chapter 12, um, at the close of this uh, great revelation that God gave to Daniel that describes the whole end time scenario, in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4 says this, the, the Lord said to Daniel, you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Uh, close the book, seal it up until the end of time, because you're not going to be able to understand all of this uh, until these events start to unfold. And so verse 5, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others, one stood on this bank, one stood on the other side of the bank of the stream, and somebody said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the two of them over the river, uh, who was, we think, the Lord, stood above the the stream and I asked him how long shall it be till the end of all these things and uh, I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and a half time three and a half years okay and um and and when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things will be finished now I love this verse verse eight Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. Now, Daniel's in his 80s at this point in time. He's a very learned man. He knows the scriptures very well. He he was an educated man, you know, and um, he says, you know, I I heard, but I didn't understand. And I say, you know what? If you don't understand everything, don't beat yourself up. Here's Daniel, and he's saying to the Lord, you know, I heard all this, but I didn't understand it. And... um, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And uh, he's like asking the Lord, like, well, what's going to happen next? And, 
And uh, the Lord said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise will understand these things. Right? Those who are wise will understand, and from that time, uh, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there will be uh, 1,290 days, and then he gets into a couple extended uh, periods of time that we don't have time to get into. But this is, you know, it's put in the scriptures for us to understand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that uh, your word uh, can address the deepest questions in our minds and our hearts. And when it comes to the future, Father, of course, uh, these things haven't happened yet, and so uh, we aren't exactly sure of all the things that you're saying. But just like Daniel, Father, we want to hear what you have for us, and we want to understand. And uh, it's okay that we don't understand everything, and we won't until these events actually unfold. But what you have put there for us, help us, Father, to be diligent. Don't allow us to be lazy. Don't allow us to be casual about something that you've put, uh, that we begin to see some of these things starting to happen in our day. So give us wisdom, Father. May your spirit direct us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to ask our ushers now if they'd come and wait on us as we continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings this morning.